Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a Wonder Tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. This week, we're back with more Chris Nolan. As we continue our series on integrity, we examine the lives of two rival magicians, Alfred Borden and Robert Angier, as they seek to become the world's greatest. As their competition heats up, their world dissolves into madness. Their lack of integrity slowly rips their worlds apart and brings them to a total state of chaos. How can we learn from Angier and Borden as we seek to keep our lives together and provide a flourishing world for those around us? All right, episode 47 of Wonder Tour today. We are talking about Christopher Nolan's prestige. In our previous episode, we talked about Mando and his unending integrity. Really, that he put a lot of effort into it. And now we've got a couple of individuals here today in our discussion that they really struggle keeping things integrated and keeping things intact. What do you think about that, Drew? We're here. We're here today to talk about some interesting, interesting individuals. Prestige is a really, <laughs> it, it's a pretty exciting movie. Depending on who you talk to about it, people get really pumped up to go dive into the Prestige with you, right? It's almost like every time I bring it up with somebody, they they act like they hey, forgot entirely about it. They're like, oh yeah, the Prestige. That is such a great movie. <laughs> and it, and for people who haven't seen it before, they're like, well, what is it? And you're like, it's these two rival magicians. They're they're competing to become the best. It's by Chris Nolan. And they're like, wow, I should have seen that movie. So I don't know. I think it's a the Prestige is a really classic movie. It brings together a lot of the themes of Chris Nolan's early works in a way that allows him to tell kind of the grandest story that he's yet told in 2006, at least. And through that, you can see how it impacts all of his later films. So I think like the character development that you have specifically of Borden and Angier in this movie, you can see how that impacts the character development in Inception and in Interstellar and stuff like that. You can also see how kind of the storylines and the story arcs here. He's again, not to say that he's like an amateur at this point. He's he's already pretty much a masterclass, but I think most people feel like his first masterpiece. And because it's Christopher Nolan, this is why we're touching on more of the movie aspects of the story. We we really like the way he does things, and we really want to adapt that, honestly, to our leadership and how we handle ourselves with our character and different things, because we're inspired by the way he weaves things together. He's a very strategic type storyteller, and there's a lot to learn there. He's so, a really good designer. Right. He's, yeah, he's, he's a really good designer. Excellent yeah. at that. He just he's able to tie things together in a way that, you know, other writers and directors can only hope that they would ever be able to do. I totally agree. There's it's just like a kind of a Rube Goldberg type machine. The one thing hits the next thing and the next thing hits the next thing. However, with Christopher Nolan, he started three other threads that you have very light detail on and they Run through, run through, and finally at the end, they tend to all collide at one moment. And it's not in a bad way. They all make sense. 
Now, with Christopher Nolan, there are two outcomes. One is an open outcome, which he's more likely to do. And we'll draw your own conclusion, folks. Good luck. Sometimes he closes it up. He does in this movie, for the most part, close it up and leave you with little or no questions. Interstellar's not one where he leaves you, you know, he, he leaves you with some questions right at the very end. He leaves you with some questions in some of his movies. I would say that this movie, the more you watch it, maybe the less questions you have about it and the more firm you become. We'll come back to the ending, probably in part two. But some of the other movies, I feel like leave it a little more wide open where you're like, well, where does it go from here? And what do I need? What do I actually think about it? But I think one of the beautiful things about this movie and we'll bring up some of this stuff. If you're big prestige fans, you might already know some of this, but I, you know, we love Chris Nolan. So these are going to be a little bit longer of an episode, but <laughs> I think it's awesome how right at the beginning of the movie in the opening crawl, you're seeing the birds in the cages and all of the top hats laying on the ground. And so Nolan does, like you said, Derek, he's bringing it all back together at the end, right? He literally opens it up and he says, this is what the movie's about. And you have no idea. You're like, well, this is kind of ominous when you're looking at that, especially the top hats in the dark. But yeah, he's telling you this movie is about clones (laughs) and this movie is about brothers or twins that are in a cage. (laughs) Implicitly implicit. Everything is implicit until it becomes explicit. That's when the lesson comes out. But you don't know the lesson until you've experienced it, seen all the characters. So let's talk about something, though, as we kind of lead into this. And one of the things I want to preface today with is this idea of, well, before we jump totally into that, why don't you tell us about magic tricks first? Let's review that piece. And then I want to review the team for magic tricks, because I think these are two models that we can kind of keep in mind as we frame the discussion the rest of the way. How's that sound? Great. So when we talk about magic tricks, uh, I was hoping you were going to do your Michael Caine accent here, but we have we have the pledge, the turn, and the prestige. And Michael Caine introduces you to this early on in the movie. He's teaching us how does the magic trick work. And it's really brilliant that he's doing that because even though he does it, it's still magical when you watch it and that's kind of the point of the magic trick right he says that when he's talking about the turn he's like yeah you're gonna make something disappear or whatever you introduce to them in the pledge you're gonna make disappear in the turn in this kind of simplification of the model for magic tricks and he even says like you don't want to believe it you know that it's not really there you partially but like you have this almost overcoming desire to believe that the magic exists you and want like, to be Fold. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes from the movie is that, yes, yeah, so those three points of a magic trick are extremely important, and we will come back to those more, even in a more meta way, in the second half as we apply it to leadership. Now, the other thing that I wanted to touch on here as we get started is this team of you don't just make the trick all happen by yourself. And in fact, in order to have some plausible deniability and different things about how things are done, you've got to keep in mind that there are basically three people involved in these tricks, right? So the first one being the magician, we all know the magician's there. Magician comes up, 
quite often, I think, with the concept, meaning I really want to wow people to do X. That's the illusion part. But then the engineer, which I thought was very fascinating, is the person that actually figures out how to do it behind the scenes, how to do it behind the cloak, how to do it. And really, I would think is a master of empathy, because if you want to create confusion and projections a little bit, when I say confusion, I mean that this disbelief moment. So the engineer is the key and he weaves the third person in, which is the assistant, using them as a distraction. And you, of course, you have inanimate objects like props and different things to also aid in the distraction piece. So these three together, and I suppose that the theater owner is like a fourth, which is just like, if you fail, I will crush you. <laughs> yeah, the theater owner right. is the sponsor, right? So the theater yeah. or the patron. So you got to be, the you, know, you always got to be right. empathetic with the patron as well, or your sponsor on something. No, I think this is a really good model, Derek. I think a lot of the time when we run our own we try to run our own prestige type models, right? We do. We, we like to play around with the roles sometimes, but I think more often I get cast as the magician and you get cast as the engineer in our schemes, if you will. <laughs> so I say schemes loosely. A lot of these are just right. business things, projects, strategies. <laughs> ways, ways to explain things, ways to get people to buy in, get people to be excited Right. And there's a good is way to this, think about it, though. Right. It's it really, really is powerful. It, yeah, it's it's really I mean, it's so much like weaving something and you have to know what to see and when. Otherwise, you're going to ruin it. Yep. <laughs> That's well, just, it's like think about it with the Wonder Tour as a model. Right. Think about it as a Wonder Tour. A lot of times what and again, we do switch roles pretty often on here. But the primary casting for me is more of the person who brings these like wide sweeping visions and, and hey, what if we could do this? And let me draw you this picture with words. And then you are like coming in strategically weaving these things together to pull it all together so that at the end we can tie a bow on it and be like, this is the model. And, <laughs> and it's well yeah. thought out and it makes logical sense and you can apply it. Yeah, you have to have that kind of relationship. And you're right. We sometimes flip the engineer and magician role and we don't really have an assistant. However, I think we, I guess, play that one independently, separately, whatever. So no big deal there. It doesn't always have to 100% map on. But let's go into the what if now. Now that we've kind of set the stage, we've got all the different roles and tricks. I want to talk about Alfred Borden. And when I say Alfred Borden, I do mean two people in air quotes or something like that. What if Borden told his brother what naughty tie drew? What do you think about that? Well, I think that as we always do with these what ifs, pretty much, it sets off a completely different chain of events, right? So if Borden, because I'm just thinking of the scene when he's at like the burial, except it's in the mausoleum type of a thing, right? Awkward. I'm not using. <laughs> yeah. And you have. Borden come in and it's it's the it's the good Borden or the humble Borden that's in there. Right. And he's just he comes by to give his respects for Julia, um, Angier's wife, who dies with the, in the trick. And Angier, you know, can't help but ask him what not he tied. And it's so awkward for the audience and like really hurts you almost in that moment when you're watching it. And he you don't understand it the first time. Right. He's like, I don't know. 
I don't know. And you're like, how can he not know? Like, he's just not telling him. But as you know, the whole movie comes through, you're like, because the other brother didn't tell him. <laughs> he, he refused to tell him what knot he tied. And he knew, right? Technically, he knew that he, he tied the other knot, probably. But he didn't know for sure. So I think, what to answer your question, actually, what if? I mean, if he knows, I think he tells him right there. Could, could it have been over at that point if Borden told Angier this is the knot I tied and I'm sorry. When you say you're sorry and you don't actually show the integrity of telling them the thing you did wrong, self-recognize, I think that's where this starts to go off the rails. It, it activates something in Angier, something very bad gets activated in Angier in that moment, I think. Well, I think it either it's, escalates really quickly or... So you avoid this slow decay, which is essentially what happens here. It's a slow descent into chaos for Angier and really for Borden as well, because in the moment, if he tells him, right, so the the bad or the, you know, the kind of prideful Borden tells the humble Borden, of course, the good guy is going to go. He's going to have to tell Angier. He's probably not going to jail for this because it's probably not a they're probably not going to call it attempted murder or something like that. I don't think. Right. So either in that moment, maybe I think you just have to look at the odds, maybe an 80 percent chance or a 70 or even 60 percent chance, depending on who Angier is. We don't get a lot of idea of who he is before this point, but maybe he forgives him or not, 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 not forgives him because he doesn't seem like the type of character who's going to forgive, but maybe he lets it go. Right. But on the alternatively, I mean, he might just come after it. He might just shoot him right there. I mean, if he tells him that he tied the other knot, like it might just be it. Right. That might be if Angier truly is just a bad actor here. <laughs> it's so there's a risk. I just want to point that out. And definitely not speaking about his acting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. No, no. Hugh Jackman does a really good job. This is probably my favorite Hugh Jackman performance. But I, I do want to mention here that he was born Silver Spoon, right? So he that's the way he started out. He's always had everything that he's wanted. And I, I have my own theory about Borden that he has scrapped for everything he's ever had his entire life. And I think this set up, sets up the antithetical relationship between the two. And these are structural things. These are not things that they're easy to rectify unless you are a better person. And I mean that on both sides. Angier could have been more grounded and, and less gimme, 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 and less entitled. And Borden could have resented him less. But this is it. This is... When you read about this movie, it's always, well, the un the one-upmanship. There is so much more going on than just outdoing somebody. There is a complete structural difference between these two folks <laughs> right here. There is, and the, their objectives, right? Their purpose is so different. Like you said, Angier's purpose is to prove himself to his family. It, it's like a Joe Bluth from Arrested Development moment, right? He wants to prove that he can make it as a magician. <laughs> it's, it's exactly like Joe Bluth, actually, right? Yes. Whereas Borden doesn't isn't trying to prove it to anybody that he can make it as a magician necessarily. He has It's to himself, right? He wants to be the best magician. He doesn't care 
what anybody else thinks, right? He's not pulling out his best trick too early. He's he's holding it, holding it, holding it, holding it, because for him, it's about making it his personal best. And so as a result of that, he's willing to take and play the long game, where Angier, as we talked about early on in Wonder Tour in the Pinocchio episode, right, you can't cheat the organic growth rate. You just can't cheat it. There's certain rate of growth that's just too fast. And if you try to achieve anything at that rate, it, it, everything crumbles on you eventually. It's only a matter of time. Because it depends on the cheating route that you take. And we will get, we're going right towards it now. We've got this. Our next thing that we want to talk about is the fact that Angier's first clone and the first time he actually cloned himself. It's a very special time in the movie. It is one full of uncertainty, shall we say. And you're looking across the way there and you see yourself, and then he blows himself away. It's messed well, up. No one builds the suspense so well in this moment, because at this point, you as the audience, you know, you saw the two cats, but you didn't see it happen. You saw the all the top hats, but you didn't see it happen, right? You never saw the device work. So this is the first time that he's actually in that warehouse testing the device, and you're like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? You see him, then it zooms out, and you see two Angier. And then he, you see him, it's like, it's like a pause for a moment. Then he reaches for the gun and shoots him, right? It's like masterful cinematography to be able to pull that off in that way. It's in this dark room with the light coming down. Like, I, I'm not very good at remembering things. I have a bad memory, and I can remember this scene very well. <laughs> it is very poignant, and it's creepy, too, man. It's super creepy. But let's, yeah, this let's, movie is a bit like a this movie is like a dystopian sci-fi movie to an extent. You don't remember it that way because it has this like 19th century, early 20th century Victorian setting and vibe to it. But it really is this like Kurt Vonnegut type, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like dystopian sci-fi story. It makes it very paradoxical feeling. And because you've got this mashup, but I think it meshes well with the fact that Borden and Angier are so different. So there's a lot of contrast and tension in this, and we find this in our everyday. But let's go to the next piece here. You were kind of mentioning something. I want to. I want to let you. We got you... a second mountaintop, right? We're getting yeah. to the. We get to the top of the first mountain on your hike, and you're like, oh, oh, okay. Like we're definitely not done yet. Like I, this, this was like two miles out, two miles back, but like. I'm only, you know, a mile out here, but we're getting to the top. And when you get to the top and look over, there's a whole nother mountain you got to climb up, right? This, I think for us, now we got to talk about what I think is the real integrity moment. Because that moment where he shoots his clone, I I would argue he has to do that. That is his, we talk about character, his destiny here on Wonder Tour. Basically, you know, who you are is, in, is who you are becoming, is who you will be. and I would be willing to debate that he, Angier, at that moment in time in which he turns on the cloning machine and sees himself, had no other options other than to shoot himself. So what we want to do is go back in time. In this movie, I love it. It plays with time a lot. So you go back and forth. You, you time jump many, many times in this movie. So let's time jump back to maybe an earlier scene where Angier maybe had more choice because he hadn't already made his bed that he had to lie in. So the first time that Angier shoots the gun. The first time that Angier confronts Borden, he's in the basement of that bar. Borden's putting on a show. You know, the audience is laughing at him as he does the little ring trick that he's working on. And so he pulls out the catching the bullet trick. This the theory here, right, is that this is the good 
the humble Borden. I keep saying good, but really this is more about humility versus pride. So we'll we'll continue to catch ourselves. This is the humble Borden who is just trying to make it in the world. He's I'm not sure if he's got the baby yet, but probably, right? And he's advised that there could put a button in there, or he he advises himself, I believe, putting a button in there. There could be anything going in that gun. He goes and does the trick anyway. Angier steps out of the crowd, and this is where we see, ooh, just, oh, you get chills because he's been there the whole time, but he's wearing a disguise. He is making a projection, and many times this is a giant beard. This movie is notorious for giant overarching beards and glasses and hats. And he comes out and, boom, blows his hand, blows a hole in his hand, basically. That's a rough That's only moment. because Fallon hits the gun, right? Remember, Fallon jumps out and knocks the gun as Angier's firing it. He isn't aiming for his hand. So, I mean, this is the first moment where Angier really has a chance to choose who he's going to be. And we haven't seen everything up until this point in his life, but we have we come to an understanding that this is a conflicted choice. So I think I'd just like to parallel this, and I, you you know Nolan was thinking it, parallel this with the shooting of the clone scene, right? Where now he doesn't have a choice. And kind of look at how his integrity falls apart over the course of the movie, because that's really how it starts with this type of stuff, right? Is at first you have a choice of if you're going to do the right thing or if you're not going to do the right thing. But eventually your choices make you and you don't really have too much of a choice anymore. I don't want to get too much into free will here, right? But it's almost like the more cemented the models are in your head, the more those models are just going to drive your decisions. And so it's so important to build the model of integrity first. That's why we say integrity is a core model, a foundational model, because if that model is flawed, that model literally connects to every single other model that you have working. All your other mental models of how you see the world, how you interact with the world, your mindsets, all of those models are built upon the foundation of the integrity model. And so if the integrity model is flawed, if you let it get flawed, Actually, those those models feed back to the integrity model a lot of the time, right? They're actually connected to the integrity model, as I'm kind of thinking about it. They provide a feedback mechanism to it. And over time, they can provide cracks into the integrity model. If you're not consistent in your behavior and consistently good specifically, then your integrity model just starts to fall apart. And so I would argue, like, if you're looking at this integrity model, you're just starting to see a little bit of crack now, uh, now that we have him shooting Borden. And by the time that we reach the point where he has to shoot his own clone. It's already gone. I mean, he's already kicked. It's easier. Yep. It gets he's kicked so a lift out of easier. the show. He's kicked. His wife is gone. His, you know, everything's gone for him. He's, he's already starting to distance himself from, from uh, Cutter's character, right? By that point, he's a lone wolf. He can't work with anybody else, even himself. <laughs> Clearly evidenced by the fact that he can shoot himself. <laughs> I think it's worth saying here that you have told me before, and I think it really cemented as you were talking that integrity is like a slip and slide and once you start going you really you don't you want to go back you want to fix it but the embarrassment and the time sunk and i think this is worth saying that really a lot of it is embarrassment and time sunk into it there are also aspects that 
when you're into doing bad stuff that you could be punished for, you don't want to face the potential of that. So you continue down the slip and side because that is a choice you can make without immediate consequences many times. But as the funnel starts to close in on you, it the, the consequences become inescapable. And that's kind of where Angier gets left. I think this comes together as we start to talk about, well, one of the things we did say is that Angier values nothing because he's always had everything. And so he has a real easy time letting go of integrity because he's always had it all. But we get to this point where we want to talk about now is the 100 clones, the the thought process of being a clone and getting rid of yourself as you've been cloned. It's it's really twisted, right? So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the 100 Ooh, clones. Got to get into the sci-fi element of a little bit more here, of course. Yeah. Right. So I think first thing we want to talk about here is like Angier, he is kind of convincing himself for coping. And he's like, well, like, I never know if I'm going to be the man in the tank or the man on the, you know, at the prestige. And it's it's just a red herring. It doesn't really matter. Right. That comment is just him coping, because in the end, we know he's the man in the tank. He's both. Right. He has to be both every single time. And the one that is on the stage is the one that's in the tank. I don't want to get into the sci-fi, but that's what I think. I mean, other people could argue, you know, clearly there is there is some sci-fi magic type stuff going on here. But that's how I see it. And I, I think regardless of how you see it, it all leads to the same end. Right. Which is that he is sacrificing himself, but not really himself. Right. He's killing himself every single night in these hundred shows that he's going through. And each time he le- loses a little bit more of himself until he's just decayed down to nothing at the end, right? He's now he's Lord Coldlow back to this high status guy, but he has no integrity. He has no friends. He's just, he has nothing. He's left with nothing. Just eliminating Borden, just getting rid of Borden, just attacking him every which way he possibly can. But it can't just be something cheap. So it's it's interesting how when you have pride and revenge and they're all playing their roles it's always funny it's it's kind of like um it austin powers for example i'm going to use sharks with freaking laser beams <laughs> why because i really need to get rid of you in a spectacular way right and that's kind of the way Angiris saying here is I'm going to set the trap and it has to be spectacular because he embarrassed me really bad when I had my fake clone. <laughs> if we remember back to that guy, Oh, sir, I, I'm here. Here we go. I'm You see me? <laughs> I went through the door in a drunk clone. Yeah. Mr. Mr. You know, I would say uh, body double or whatever you want to. He wasn't <laughs> an exact copy. And so he kind of tried to play that game first in a legitimate way. And then he really said to himself, in order to get this to be really spectacular, which is going to. And this is a trick we play on ourselves. This is going to make it right. This is going to resolve it. It's not going to resolve it. You are going to implode. 
And I think that's the leadership piece here is if you sacrifice your integrity, if you sacrifice your integrity to support or prop up your pride, that is not a good combination, right? Yeah. How are you going to sacrifice? I think this is kind of like the end of our journey on the way back down the mountain right here is let's now look at the Chinese man at the beginning, the Chinese magician, right? And that's the first thing that we're introduced to. It's the pledge. We see how he operates. We see that he does, you know, he's lived his entire life to be able to perform this trick. He sacrifices his his physical well-being. He sacrifices, you know, how people see him. He sacrifices his mobility, all of these things for this trick. But on the flip side, Angier sacrifices his humanity over and over again. He's sacrificing his humanity, right? He's not willing. He sacrifices too much is almost what I would say. And and this is where we just have to be so careful with sacrifice because sacrifice, especially because of kind of the different narratives that we subscribe to in pop culture and media as humans sacrifice is a really compelling narrative, right? You know, that's why war movies are great. That's why a lot of these stories that we love are so good because sacrifice is a really compelling narrative because it, it, it can mean love. It can mean wisdom. It can mean justice. It can mean so many of these positive themes, but what we have to be careful of is that sacrifice doesn't consume us. Because in this in this moment, what happens, right, is Angier and Borden both really. I would argue that Borden is kind of is they're the protagonist in this movie, but those brothers are not perfect, and they're they're really you left kind of wondering who's the good guy and who's the bad guy at the end. You're like, is Borden really the good guy? Because he didn't really have a lot of integrity either. Look what happened to Sarah. It's tragic, right? Look at what happened to Jess. It's not these just because it ended kind of okay for him doesn't mean that things were really okay throughout that entire story. He sacrificed his integrity as well. He just did it in a way that was at least a little bit more, it was a little bit more responsible, you could say. He didn't seem like he missed Sarah at all. I think that's a really good point. It's something that they don't really mention much in the story because if you did exposition with that, it would just be cheesy. Oh, I miss Sarah so much. No, don't even put that line in there. Forget it. (laughs) Just let it go. And that's what he did. And I think that's right on. I was thinking as you were talking that you've got to, as a leader, as we were heading kind of into the application piece, as a leader, you have to make sure that you are sacrificing for the right things. We are saying as magnanimous leaders, we do not want to sacrifice our integrity, the intactness of who we are. And when we make that commitment, I think very naturally because of, I don't know, the structure of the universe, we gravitate away from the nasty bad things in the world because they never can hold together for very long. They are by nature chaotic, right? Yeah. Things are coming apart at the seams at all times, right? Of course, things are always, there's there's entropy. It's, It's kind of pulling things apart. And I think it's just really interesting to think about what, like as a leader, one must sacrifice but it it shouldn't be the first option really, or what you sacrifice, like you said, is really, really important. We need to, what we should be willing to sacrifice is our desires, our ambitions. Those are, those are honorable things to sacrifice in the right moment to say, you know what, this is what I wanted to do. This is what I gave my whole life for. I wanted to be the world's greatest magician, but in this moment I need to protect Sarah and Jess, right? Imagine if that happens differently. You have to step back. You know, I've given five years to this project, but 
you know, am I really going to tear, am I going to sacrifice my integrity to see it through? Or am I going to keep myself intact going forward so that I can continue to be a magnanimous leader that supports others? And sacrificing, you could, I think sacrificing like the Chinese magician is good too, right? Sacrificing physically sometimes is, is good. Sometimes you do need to make that physical sacrifice for somebody else. Again, that's even rarer. That is hardly ever the case of what needs to happen, right? But there is, there are the physical sacrifice moments like Obi-Wan versus Vader in episode four. I would caution anybody who has seen the sacrifice continually increase. Be careful. Every time you pay more, that is what happened in this story. I take that away from this is that it ramped up really fast. And that is a system that is out of control. If you are sacrificing every day a certain amount, I think that's where we see wisdom. We see wisdom play into it. We see that there is a measure, a steady measure of sacrifice that is typically, and this is to keep the integrity all on the line. And when you've got some other nefarious method, it's typically, and this is the one-upmanship by definition, I just outdid what you did. Now I'm going to outdo that. I'm going to outdo that. I'm going to outdo that. And that is a system that eventually spins it's out of slip control and, and crashes. It's the slip. It's, it absolutely is a slip and slide. And I want to say in your slip and slide metaphor that it's got to become less and less friction as you go, because that's the way that you accelerate more and more and more to where you can't stop it. If you think about cloning yourself a hundred times, you really can't stop what it's done to you. You have literally killed yourself a hundred times. That is the worst. Or maybe it's 101 because he did a hundred shows. 100, anyway. 102 at least because he, there you shows go. The, yeah, he also shows the sponsor in order to get the hundred shows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go. Yeah. So what, what else we got here? I think if we could sum this all up, it's that integrity is a core model. We're starting to, you know, we're almost 50 episodes into this wonder tour and we're starting to kind of develop a language around our models of character, right? So what we've seen is that integrity is a core model. And so any cracking of the integrity model will very, it's sometimes it's slower, but eventually it will branch out into your other models, right? It starts in one model and, it, and then it moves into the other models. So when you, when you sacrifice a core model like integrity, you start to give up certain things in it. You know, it's a slip and slide. Eventually you're at the bottom and you're covered in soap and you're, you're sliding into a pile of grass and rocks or whatever. And it's just there's no smooth landing in a slip and slide because you, there's no friction, basically. Right. There's nothing left to stop you. There's no way to at least on the slip and slides. The biggest slip and slide I was ever on was down a big hill with a bunch of soap and a bunch of grass and bumps at the end. Right. And, and it was a pretty steep decline. There was no step. Once you got on the slip and slide, it was over. Like you were going all the way to the end. And sometimes you were going to come off the side and you lost complete control. You might land on your shoulder. Right. As a kid, you're OK with that. But as an adult, you're landing on your shoulder. Not very good. Landing on your head or your back. Not very good. You could go to the hospital most of the time. <laughs> I love what you said there. And I want to highlight it. You said there's nothing left to stop you. That's it. There's nothing left to stop you. You can't stop yourself. That is so important as we walk away from today. In Jir, there was nothing left to stop him. He couldn't stop killing the clones. There's nothing. He was already set. The path was set in motion once he had sacrificed his integrity. So now every decision that he made, I'm thinking about like his decision matrix as he goes out there every single night. He's got this like this, this blue model over here in his head 
that he's using to decide, oh, you know, he has to every night get up the courage, quote unquote courage, to go up there and kill himself. But the problem is that there's like a fake, run, there's like a fake no button, a fake runaway button. It's not real anymore. He has to accept. He, he's already built. He's he's made his bed and he has to lie in it at this point. There's no way out. Yeah, yeah structurally, that he model is, is compromised. Stuck. All right. Well, that was a great discussion today. Next time, we're going to be talking about prestige again. We're going to go deeper, as we usually do. If you have anything you want to add to this, hit us up on The Wonder Tour on Twitter. And we'll just close it out here. Remember, not all who wonder are lost. We'll see you next time.